So while they are distributing um, Bibles to those who um, need a Bible to read along with, we want to uh, welcome our children that have been um, learning how to worship down in children's worship. The whole idea of that is so that you're prepared to sit through service and be able to listen and learn from the Word of God. And so even as you hear the scripture read this morning, um, I invite the children to um, journal or draw a picture like they've been learning to do downstairs. And it really doesn't hurt adults if we would do the same and make some notes or even draw a picture. Sometimes that helps us as we're listening. And so um, getting those last few Bibles um, distributed, everybody that needed a Bible. And um, our text today is going to be from Luke 7, verse 18. Luke 7, verse 18. Page 1605 in your Bibles. And so I'd like to present the main idea of this sermon to you before we listen to the scripture today. So that as you listen to the scripture, you can kind of be listening with that lens or with an ear to these things. And so the main idea is that children of God trust God's word and not their own expectations or their own ideas as they wait for their deliverer. Okay, so the main idea is that children of God trust his word and not their own expectations as they wait for their deliverer. And so let's go to the text in Luke 7, starting with verse 18. And this we're going to read through verse um, verse 35. So John's disciples told him about all these things. All these things being the resurrections, the healings, the teachings of Jesus. John's disciples told John the Baptist about all these things. And so John the Baptist, calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written... I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, 
Among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is last in the kingdom of God is greater than he. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Jesus went on to say, To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other, We played the pipe for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, which means a funeral song, and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you said, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you said, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. This is our text for today. It's a pretty expansive text, kind of in three chunks. First is John the Baptist trying to figure out who Jesus is and asking some questions about, are you the one? And then there's this section where Jesus is clarifying who John the Baptist is. And then there's this last part, which some commentators call the brat parable. It's about the Pharisees and the experts of the law and kind of how they were acting like little brats, like little children. Um, And so we'll talk more about that. There is much more that could be said. I'm not going to give you the four-hour version. I'm going to give you some ideas about how that our expectations cannot necessarily line up with the Lord's and so how we need to trust his ways. Okay, so that's the main idea that we're trying to get from this sermon today, expecting the one to come. And so I'd like to start out with a children's story. And um, I would like to tell you that the story of Are You My Mother?, popped into my mind as I was praying and meditating on scripture this week. And I have not thought of that little children's book in years and years. But when um, John kept repeating twice the question, are you the one to come? Then I thought about this story about, are you my mother? Have any of you ever read that story? Uh, Yeah, some of you know this story. Okay, well, I could let you get up and tell the story, but I'm going to just tell parts of it. I know I'm not going to tell all of it, and I might miss your favorite part, but I'm going to give an idea about this story. This is a story about a bird, a mother bird, that laid an egg, and then that egg started to wiggle a little bit, and she thought, I better go get something for my baby to eat when it's born. And so she said, I'll be back, and she flew away. Well, the bird hatched, and the bird was looking for its mother. And so it looked up, and it looked down, and finally it decided maybe he better just go off and try to find his mother. Well, so he goes off the nest. He can't fly. He falls to the ground, but he can walk. And so he starts to walk, and he starts to um, ask these different characters in the story, Are you my mother? And he's like, I know I can find my mother. I know I have one. I will, I will, I will find my mother. 
And so he goes searching, and first he sees a kitten, and he says, are you my mother? And the kitten just looked at him, and then he saw a hen, and he asked, are you my mother? And the hen said, no, I'm not your mother. Well, then he walked up the back of this dog, and he tips over his head and says, are you my mother? No, I'm not your mother. Well, this bird kept looking and looking, and not only did it find these animals, a cow even, that it asked, was it the mother? No, the cow was not the mother. He saw um, a steamboat, and he thought maybe that was his mother. He saw an old wrecked up, scrapped out truck or SUV or something. No, that wasn't the mother. He saw a plane flying in the sky. Well, maybe that was his mother. No, that's not his mother. Well, finally, this thing called the snort, which looked like a front-end loader or something. Steam shovel, is that what it was? Steam shovel. Dane and I watched the video together. It was really great last night. All right, so we watched the snort bring and put the little baby bird, the front-end loader, what would you say, steam shovel, steam shovel, back into the nest. And then the mother bird comes back. Oh, you're my mother. And, you know, they lived happily ever after. So, searching. When you're searching for somebody that you've never met, well, how do you go about that? This little bird was searching for someone that he had never met. He didn't have a picture to refer to. Maybe you've gone to the airport to try to pick up somebody that you don't know, and it's kind of hard to figure out who they are if you've never met them before. And so you have to ask, you know, are you my mother? Are you whoever I'm looking for? And we need to have accurate expectations. This little bird had no expectations at all about what a mother bird would look like. And so obviously was looking in all the wrong places and had no expectations at all. But we need accurate expectations of what this person would look like or what they would act like. And so we have a group of people in this Bible text that is expecting the Messiah, the Deliverer, the one who would come to rescue God's people. And they're waiting, but their expectations aren't being met. And we see a couple of, um, of people, groups, that are represented in this text. One is John the Baptist, and the other is the Pharisees and the legal experts. They both are looking for the Messiah to come. But their expectations aren't being met because actually John was in jail. That's why he sent two messengers. He couldn't go himself. He was sitting in jail. And then the Pharisees and the legal experts, they're also looking for the Messiah. But they're surrounded by the Roman Empire and political pressures. And there's all kinds of things going on in their life. And their expectations maybe are not being met. And so let's look at that in a little bit more um, detail. John expects a deliverer. And so he sent the message and the question, are you the one to come? Are you the one that we're looking for? Well, now, why would he ask that question? Because he had already prophesied that Jesus was the one whose sandals he wasn't even worthy to tie. But you see, he's sitting in a jail And you would think this one that he had prophesied about would be doing something about that. Because the words that he had prophesied from Luke 3, some of those phrases that um, he was telling the people, flee from the wrath to come. He talked about the axe was going to be laid right to the roots, right, of the trees. 
He talked about this deliverer, this one who was to come being like a winnowing fork, a fork that would lift up this hay or straw and would kind of sift it, and the good stuff would fall, and everything that was wasteful would just fly away in the breeze. And so everything that was going to fly away, the chaff that was going to fly away in the breeze, was going to be burned with unquenchable fire. And so there were these images, these expectations that he had because of the word of the Lord that had been given to him to prophesy that Jesus was going to come in power and, you know, in force and um, make things right. And he's sitting in jail. The Pharisees, they're expecting a deliverer. And so we see in verses 33 and 34 that they certainly weren't thinking that John the Baptist and Jesus were part of that picture. You know, they certainly weren't recognizing God's ways in their midst because they had some different expectations about what a deliverer was going to do. A deliverer, how could that be that he sends somebody out to live their life in the wilderness and to be so abstaining from everything that they think he has a demon? They are thinking John the Baptist has a demon. They are not seeing that this is part of God's ways. And they look at Jesus, the one who walked through and, you know, wasn't in their minds um, honoring the Sabbath. He wasn't fasting. He was celebrating. He was way too happy in their estimation and walking in way too much freedom. Remember, the Pharisees had laws upon laws built over and beyond God's law. And so they were really strict and staunch, and they just thought that Jesus was too free. And so they thought that, well, they just called him a lot of names. And so the Pharisees had an expectation about a deliverer coming, but they certainly couldn't see how John the Baptist and Jesus had a part of that. And so sometimes our expectations may not be met as we're watching for the Lord's work. And so Jesus challenged their expectations. And while he didn't use the word expectations in this text, he asked the question three times. It's repeated. What did you go out to see? And that makes me think of their expectations. What was it you thought you were going to see? Did you go out in the wilderness to see some, you know, a, a, a reed that was bent over? No, that's really common. Did you go out to see something really common out in the wilderness? Or did you go out to see somebody who was dressed up? Were you going for some real spectacular something out in the wilderness? What was it that you were going out? You were going out to hear a prophet, but did you even understand what the prophet was saying? What what he challenges their expectations. Because our expectations can be impacted by many things in the fallen world. Just our worldview, just how we think things happen in the world. Right? Maybe everybody thought that everything that God was going to do was going to happen in the temple. Or maybe their traditions were interfering with their ability to understand that God was at work in this whole scene. Their traditions could have gotten in the way. Or maybe a misapplication or an emphasis on one part of the scripture without an emphasis on the whole of scripture maybe was getting in the way of them understanding some things about that God was at work. Or maybe just the circumstances. God is a God who watches over his children and is watching over and protecting and leading them. And they're looking for the deliverer. And so we've got the prophet 
John the Baptist in jail, and we've got this whole political and social structure that is going to pot in their mind. And so, right, it's, you know, their expectations are not being met, and they're not seeing how John the Baptist and Jesus are really doing anything that would help or that they would recognize as this is the Messiah. And so John's disciples may have been doubting. Here their leader is, the one who baptized them, told them to repent for the kingdom of God is near. And so their leader is in jail. And so maybe John's disciples were wondering, did he have the right message and did he see the right person? Are you really the one to come? Maybe John the Baptist himself, as he sat there, had some doubts and wondered, are you, Jesus, really the one who was to come? Maybe Jesus' disciples wondered, because if the person who was inaugurating them, who was saying, this is, this is the Holy One, the one we've expected, if he's now in jail and this man's not doing anything about it, was John really a true prophet? Maybe some doubt was starting to creep in. Sometimes that happens when we have these expectations. Another thing that interferes with us being able to see God's activity is pride, because pride will reject God's ways. John the Baptist called for people to repent and be baptized, and the Pharisees and the experts of the law, they judged that to be not necessary, and they didn't participate in God's ways. That was pride. Pride wants to control And so this brat parable from verse 31 and 32, Jesus went on to say, What can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you. We played the marriage dance, like you know how the chicken dance sometimes at wedding receptions and everybody gets out and participates. And they're saying, We decided it was time to celebrate John the Baptist. And you didn't come and dance with us. You didn't come out on the dance floor. And they judge Jesus. And they say, you seem too happy. And we were playing a lament. And we were crying because of a funeral. And you aren't joining into our lament. And so the Pharisees were judging Jesus' actions. And that's the root of that is pride. Our trouble. We share that same trouble that some of these troubles of our expectations, while we're waiting on the Lord to return, while we're waiting for Jesus to return, sometimes our expectations aren't met. Think about when we pray and we're expecting a certain answer or a certain timing on what we prayed about and it doesn't come. Our expectation and God's timing or his answer aren't aligned and so do we start to doubt Do we start to let circumstances, sometimes when they're dire, you know, maybe you're praying for a job and you're praying and praying and praying or you're praying about your finances or you're praying for, um, maybe you're praying for a life partner, a, a spouse, and that isn't coming. And you wonder, is my deliverer, is the Lord listening Is he going to help me? Is he going to rescue me from this? Maybe you're facing foreclosure. I don't know what it is. But, you know, sometimes we're in these hard, hard spots and we've prayed for a long time. And doubt can start to just creep in. 
Is God listening? Is there really a deliverer? Is there a savior that's coming? When we expect our traditions to keep us safe or to guide us, and I think that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were leaning on their traditions. And when we expect those traditions to keep us safe or guide us, And I think for some of us today, as we look at what's happening in the United States, as some of the circumstances, um, you know, even you hear some reports. I don't know if you've heard it. I've read some things about will our tax-exempt status be, you know, pulled from churches because of the way that some of the legislation is happening in this country. And are we going to have our faith in that tax-exempt status? and our tradition, whatever has kind of helped us out, are we going to trust that God's on the throne and he's in charge, right? And so when our expectations and when the world situation isn't lining up the way we thought it was going to, and um, I hope it's okay, but I'm just looking at the systems and thinking, you guys have been praying for a house, right? You've been praying for a house and this, you know, Somehow the timing on this and the the waiting on this and is God going to answer and, you know, you could get frustrated. You could throw up your hands. You could get bitter. You know, you could start to doubt. Like, does he even love me? Is he listening? You know, I don't know. I'm sorry I'm putting you on the spot, but I just, I'm looking at you just thinking, this is real. This is real, folks. We get into these places where we struggle sometimes and there's the temptation that while we're waiting, and our expectations aren't being met, that we can start to turn away from actually God's purposes. But the good news, right, that's the trouble, but the good news is that we can bring our questions to God and we can trust his word and his ways to produce good fruit in our lives. We have a good shepherd who watches over us day and night. And so there were two reactions to these groups of people, John the Baptist and his disciples versus the Pharisees and the legal experts. God's ways are higher than our ways, and we don't always understand them. But we can start to look at their reactions and see that there were different reactions, that John the Baptist and his followers came to Jesus, and they were humble about it. And the experts of the law and the Pharisees certainly were not. And this actually starts to fulfill the prophecy of the winnowing fork of how Jesus was coming. He was going to start to separate. But it took a hard situation. It took some hard circumstances. And he used those hard circumstances to start to separate and to start to show the difference in the heart conditions of these people. When doubt came to John disciples and maybe to John himself, he sent a question to Jesus. Are you the one? Are you at work here? Are you busy? Even though I don't understand these circumstances, are you the one? And so we can learn from this that when we have some doubts, we, instead of just doing them, talk to the Lord about it. Scripture says we can pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And so when we've got some doubts, when we've got some frustration, some angst, we can pray about it. We can talk to the Lord about it. He welcomes that. Now, Jesus, what he does in verse 22 is he starts to demonstrate a discernment process. And so when we have doubts, Jesus says, well, let's look at the facts. And so he replied when they came and asked the question, he replied, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. 
The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. In that little response, he's teaching them to discern. Because he's saying, think about this, listen to this. Is this consistent with God's character? I'm doing these loving, kind things for God's people. I'm doing all these activities, healing and raising from the dead and um, preaching good news to the poor. Is this consistent with God's scripture that you've known him to be ever since he called Abraham, Father Abraham? Yes. Is it consistent with scripture itself? He uses phrases within his response that reminds him of Isaiah 61. Remember, they've got it memorized. Right? And so he uses these phrases that will remind them that this is consistent. My act, Jesus is saying, my actions are lining up with scripture. And then it's confirmed by the people that were listening. Remember, those that had been baptized by John the Baptist, when they listened to Jesus, they're like, yep, that's God's ways, that's right. And then what's the fruit of this? A discernment question is, what, if, if I'm going to follow this, if this is from the Lord, what's going to be the good fruit of this? And Jesus uses the phrase, wisdom is proved right by her children. And so there'll be good fruit. What do you see from the fruit of this? There's peace and joy and there's happiness. And you're blaming me for all the happy, like you're saying we're partying too much. We're having too much fun here. And he goes, actually, this is part of the kingdom. This is the fruit, is that we will have love and joy and we'll have good times together. And so we see that we can discern by bringing our questions to the Lord. He'll help us discern it. And we can learn from John that humility will follow God's ways and submit to them. And so the disciples were demonstrating humility when they submitted to this baptism and this repentance that John the Baptist called them to. And Jesus himself would submit to a baptism not only in the of the Holy Spirit, but a baptism of death and resurrection, that he would die and rise again in humility. Jesus himself would live that out for us and model it. Jesus is also so gracious that I believe that when he pointed out what the Pharisees and the experts of the law were doing, he was really calling them out of sin, calling them out of pride, inviting them to to trust and to follow. And so even in Jesus' words, when he corrects us, it's always with the invitation to turn, to repent, to come on and let's go along with God's ways because they're higher than our ways. The good news is where it talks about that John the Baptist, that, that he even would be, um, even though he's the greatest person that's ever lived, that he would be lesser than anyone who was in the kingdom of God We underestimate what it's like as we sit here filled with the Holy Spirit. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was ushering in the new era and was going to give us the Holy Spirit. And so as that gift of the Holy Spirit comes, he helps us in ways that John the Baptist never had this kind of help by the infilling, indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon him. But the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it helps us. So that when we pray and our answers aren't coming as we thought they would, the Holy Spirit helps us to continue to pray. And he gives us patience as we wait. When circumstances are dire and doubt starts to creep in, he gives us faith to believe 
that Jesus, our deliverer, is really coming and that God is watching over our circumstances even when we don't understand and they're hard. And we expect the Holy Spirit, not traditions, to keep us safe and to guide us. Right? And so the Holy Spirit, he gives us the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm ushering in my kingdom and my kingdom will never fail. And he's going to help us. And so Jesus says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And I believe he would have this word for you today. Blessed are you if you don't let circumstances cause you to stumble. No matter what is going on, if my actions are slower or different than what you thought, know that I'm watching out over you and that I do care and that help is on its way. And so God invites his children to trust his word and not our own expectations as we wait for our Deliverer, who is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who watches over us day and night. Lord, I thank you that Jesus taught us lessons today, even as he taught those that were listening and watching that day as John the Baptist sent a question, are you the one to come? And Lord, we do acknowledge that you certainly were the one to come. And as we think about you and the price that you prayed on the cross, we say thank you. We say thank you for the hope that that's given us in Christ and for the fact that you've sent your Holy Spirit to continue to guide us into all truth so that we can reject our own expectations and our own thinking, that we don't have to lean on them, but rather we can acknowledge our ways before you. We can pray to you and that you will direct our path. And so, Lord, continue to guide us and lead us, even as we bring those things before you that maybe are on our minds, that are troubling our circumstances, Lord. Would you... Hear our prayers. Would you bring your peace? Would you bring everything that's needed for life and godliness, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand. Yeah. And so you may be seated. We do believe in the name of Jesus. We believe in him who did things that were contrary to what anybody was expecting because he would lower himself so much that he would put himself on that cross to take our sins for the forgiveness of our sins, for restoring us back into relationship, even in the way that that little bird was restored back into relationship in that nest, right? that God brings us back into relationship with him through what Jesus did on the cross. And so this meal is to celebrate Jesus' work on the cross and what that means for us, the hope of new life now and for eternity. And so if you believe that Jesus has died for your sins, if you believe that he has offered you and you've received new life in him, 
You don't have to be a member of this church, but you have to be a member of his church, his greater church. And so we would invite you that you may also participate with us. If you are a child and you have not made profession of faith yet, we ask that you would not take communion, but that you're welcome to come on up with whoever you're here with, your parents or your friends or maybe somebody that's next to you. And for those parents or adults that are around, we ask that you would just pray blessings over the children that you see. And so um, let us pray. Lord, thank you for your um, work on the cross. Thank you for your body and blood that was shed. And so, Lord, now as we prepare to take this meal and celebrate the new life that you've given us in Christ, Lord, would you set apart these elements Lord, that they would certainly bring us special grace. Even today, Lord, that you would give us grace to have our expectations adjusted, corrected, and that you would impart faith. We pray that you would meet us in this meal. In Jesus' name. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was sitting around with his disciples and he gave thanks. And then he held up the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and he gave thanks. And he told him in paraphrase, this is a new promise. This is a promise of salvation. This is a promise of your sins being forgiven. And it's a promise that's in my life and in my blood. So I'm going to ask the board members if they would come up and um, prepare to serve us. If you are gluten-free, we do have some wafers here that you can partake of. We take and we eat and we remember and believe that the body and blood of Jesus was broken and poured out for the complete forgiveness of all of our sins. Friends, there's more bread and there's more juice and there's more people that need to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. You have the hope of the world and the good news. And so grace, mercy, And peace be yours in abundance. And as you receive these good gifts from the Lord, be sure and share the good news with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.